0: News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Are you ready for a federal election? Clearly, the major parties are ramping up and preparing. You've got federal party leaders kind of crisscrossing the country. And the clearest sign? Well, you've got a federal government handing out big checks left, right, and centre. But this will be an election with a lot at stake. Recovery from the pandemic and all the economic repercussions of that will not be easy. So how are parties getting ready to pitch their message to Canadians? And according to a new poll, more Canadians believe that NDP leader Jagmeet Singh would be a better prime minister than the Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole. Making it even more interesting on the eve of this election. So it's on the horizon What are the NDP leader's plans? Well, he joins us now. Jagmeet Singh is here with us this morning. Thank you for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having
0: me. How close do you think we are getting to this election call? What is your feeling on that?
1: It really looks like uh, Justin Trudeau is interested in getting power. We've got two more years on our mandate. What I'd rather do is continue to help people out, bring in supports for small business and continue those supports, help people out, help in the recovery, focus on creating jobs and fighting the climate crisis, which we see raging Across BC with forest fires, climate fires, that are really putting our lives and our health at risk.
0: So you're saying you don't want an election, but you are ready to to get start campaigning in an election?
1: Absolutely ready for one because uh, things are looking good. People have seen that we fought for them in this pandemic, and they know that we are committed to doing everything we can to get people the help they need. So we're in a great position. But I don't make I don't want to make a decision about going to an election based on what's good for me. I want to do what's good for people, and I think what's good for people is for us to. Continue working, get back to Ottawa in September, and just keep on working to deliver the help that people need. I've heard a lot of worries around housing, around climate crisis, around health care, and there's a lot that we can still do. Uh, we've got two years left on that mandate, so let's get the work done. Let's make sure people get all the help they can get. Yes, and, and for me, Justin Trudeau's reason for an election is simply just to get, to get power, and that's not a good reason. So what
0: do you think Canadians are worried about?
1: Well, when I was uh, touring through B.C., uh, I met with people that are still hit by the pandemic. The pandemic hasn't actually ended yet, and they're still feeling the impacts. People in the tourism sector, which is really important in B.C., I was on the island, Vancouver Island, and lots of workers there saying they can't get back to work because their jobs are just not there yet. spoke to a lot of people in the hotel uh, and service industry who say we're, we're also not able to get back to work. So that's a big concern. Housing prices, huge concern. People are really worried that they cannot afford a place to call their home. And that's a big concern. And then uh, healthcare continues to be a worry. I've met so many people that say they lost their coverage over this pandemic and they can't afford the medication they need. They can't afford dental care. And I've always believed that these should be included in our healthcare system. And they were always intended to be. So those are things that I'm I'm hearing from people.
0: I don't know, you sound an awful lot like you have been campaigning.
1: (laughs) Well, every summer I always uh, make sure it's a priority for me and my team to, to get out and hear from people. But yeah, we'll be ready for a campaign if that's what that's what happens. And the work that we do in the summer to connect with folks helps us understand their struggles and share some of what we've done. And so I always look forward to the summer period to be able to do that.
0: Right. So when you look, though, how Canada is going to recover from this pandemic in the years ahead, what are we going to do? I mean, the economic hole is deep.
1: It's true. It's true. And people are worried about debt and deficit. And the reason people are worried is because they've seen They've kind of seen this show before. When times are tough, like in the financial crash of 2007, 2008, what we saw governments do, particularly conservative governments and and liberal governments as well, is either cut the help that people need, cut services, or increase the burden on those that are already struggling. I've been proposing a third option. New Democrats believe that we should tax the ultra-rich. The super wealthy who increased their wealth over this pandemic, the 44 richest billionaires in Canada, who saw their wealth increase by over $70 billion. The Amazons of the world who make money, record profits, in fact, off the backs of Canadians, but pay virtually no taxes here. We want to make sure that these ultra-wealthy corporations and individuals are paying their fair share, and we use that to invest in the recovery, where we create good jobs, where we invest in healthcare, where we fight the climate crisis by creating a diversified, renewable economy. Uh, that's what I believe in. I think it's really achievable. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunities in the recovery, despite how difficult this has been. I think there, there's lots of hope. Well,
0: who do you classify as the ultra-rich?
1: Well, um, certainly the, the wealthiest uh, 44 billionaires in Canada. That would be the, the ultra-rich. We look at some of the richest corporations, the, the web giants like Netflix, Google, Facebook, uh, that don't pay any taxes in Canada despite making massive profits here. They need to be taken on. uh, Those who use offshore loopholes, you know, most people I speak to don't uh, make profits in Canada, then hide that money in a Caribbean bank. Well, there's a lot of wealthy corporations in Canada and individuals who make profits and then hide their profits in offshore tax havens in other countries and banks in the Caribbean. And that's got to end. There are billions and billions of dollars of revenue just in closing the loopholes alone. And then if we take on the ultra rich, there's another additional source of lots of billions of dollars that we can invest towards people.
0: So uh, that sounds very much like your election platform. So when, so in <laughs> what ways is the NDP campaigning? Like, Do you have all of your candidates in place or is this still an ongoing process?
1: Uh, we still have more to go. Uh, we have a really strong mandate around making sure people from diverse backgrounds are, are are represented. So we spend a little bit more time to make sure we have women and uh, people from racialized backgrounds, people from equity-seeking backgrounds that are our candidates, and, and it takes a lot, a lot more time, you'll, you'll probably imagine, to recruit a really qualified woman who just doesn't see herself reflected in politics than uh, approaching you know, an, an older man who, who's quick to say yes. It's, it takes a little bit more work, but I'm happy to do it. But uh, we've got over 103 candidates already nominated, uh, excellent candidates across the country, and we're going to keep on working until we get all, all ridings represented.
0: How important is BC to your plans? Because you look at any kind of federal polling and you can see that it feels like BC is really going to play an important role in deciding who forms the next government.
1: Oh, it's a huge, it's a, it's a very important, a little personally because I represent Burnaby South and, and it speaks close to my heart, but, but it's absolutely a riding or a province where we see a lot of support already. And it's going to factor in really importantly because people in BC want someone who's going to fight for them. They see the BC NDP making a difference in their lives. And they want someone who's going to continue to fight for them at the federal level. So I'm, I'm honoured to receive the support. But more importantly, I see a responsibility in ensuring that people have new Democrat MPs in their riding so they can have someone there for them who's going to fight for them and get them and their families what they need. I'm sure we'll be
0: talking to you in the uh, weeks ahead. Thank you for your time this morning.
1: Of course. I look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you.
0: This is Mornings with Simi. So we know what the border procedure is here in Canada. We finally have that long-awaited plan, the opening in stages that uh, fully vaccinated Americans can come to Canada for non-essential travel starting August the 9th. We're opening up to everybody else in September It wasn't reciprocal, though, right? We've been talking about that the last couple of days. And yesterday we got the official word that on the U.S. side of things, the border is staying, the land border is staying fully closed for non-essential travel until at least August the 21st. So how is that going over south of the border? Well, joining us now is Len Saunders, a Blaine-based immigration lawyer. Hi, Len. Thanks for being with us again.
2: Hi, Simi. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you. I should ask, how are you? How is this news going down over there?
2: Well, most businesses in Blaine, they've just been patiently waiting for that border to open. So there was definitely a lot of disappointment with yesterday's announcement.
0: Was there some anticipation that it would be otherwise?
2: Um, I think there has been. I think last month in June, there was a lot of hope that the border was going to reopen. And then when it didn't, I think a lot of people now have just kind of resigned to it's going to open when it opens, whenever that is.
0: What kind of an impact has this had? Like, what is it like right now in Blaine and Bellingham?
2: Well, Blaine's worse than Bellingham because Blaine is so reliant upon the Canadian uh, day travelers. Like the gas stations, you go to any gas station in Blaine, it's not like there's less clients there or customers. There's none. There's nobody gassing up in this town. The mailbox places... Most of them are only operating maybe one day a week for one hour, accepting packages from FedEx or whatever to be, you know, picked up at a later date. So it's even the golf courses, the golf courses are absolutely dead because they're normally filled with Canadians coming down here. So it's definitely been a very quiet summer so far.
0: And what is the vaccination situation like? Len? I know that when we talked to you early on in the whole vaccination thing, things were great in Washington state.
2: Oh, absolutely. So we got off to a great start. I've been fully vaccinated for over five months since late or early February. But it seems to have kind of plateaued, right? The people like me who wanted it early got it. But there's a lot of people who I don't think will ever be vaccinated. They just don't believe in it. They don't want to go through the procedure. And so it's kind of plateaued. I think it's just over 50 percent and it doesn't seem to be growing Anymore. And so, you know, it's interesting how the U.S. hasn't opened to Canadians, but the Canadian border has opened to Americans. It should almost be the opposite way around when you see the amount of vaccinations in each country.
0: Right. But Canada has surpassed, right? The U.S. this week with the the people vaccinated. So, Did you ever think that was going to happen?
2: I never thought, you know, when when the American government was so fast to roll out the amount that we had down here, in the late winter, early spring, and how, you know, it shot off, you know, so many people being vaccinated so quickly, it just came to a grinding halt. And, you know, the the slow rollout in Canada seems to have been almost a better approach. Now, I think you're over 80% who've had one vaccination and over 50% too. That's huge in numbers compared to what's happened down here.
0: I think maybe it created um, incentive for people, right? Like when when it's in demand, when you can't have it in the beginning, everybody really wants it.
2: You know, I kind of thought about that recently. Like it's, it's one of those things, if you can't have it, everyone wants it. When it's readily available, nobody cares. So it's almost like it backfired having it so readily available in the U.S. early on.
0: Are there incentives, you know, down in Washington state now to get more people vaccinated? What is the government there been saying?
2: Oh, absolutely. So they've been offering lotteries. I think there was recently a million dollar winner. So there's, there's been, you know, in each state individually, there's been incentives for people who haven't been vaccinated to now go and get vaccinated. And, but it still hasn't, the the numbers, they've almost flatlined. It's just over 50% nationwide.
0: That's craziness. So then you will be able to, you know, send pe- people up here to come and visit. I mean, that's you can start arriving up here, you know, fully vaccinated as of August the 9th. So there's some progress.
2: Well, absolutely. So, you know, for Americans wanting to go and spend their money and vacation in, in Canada, it's nice because there's now those opportunities because a lot of Americans have been disappointed. They haven't been able to go to Whistler or go to their cabins on the islands. Now, at least Americans know that if they're vaccinated, they can enter Canada. And there's an incentive now to be vaccinated in the U.S. if you want to go north. But it's just it, it's so disappointing that the American government hasn't taken such initiatives. Right. They have no plan. Like, I'm shocked that here we are sitting a year and a half into the pandemic and the American government has just been quiet on any plans going forward. At, at this point, I've stopped guessing when the American government may open up the border. It's not science. If it was science, they wouldn't allow Canadians to freely fly into the U.S. I've no idea. I've stopped guessing on why they keep you know, extending this 30-day closure and when they may finally open up the border to travelers to come into this country.
0: So you don't want to talk about what might happen on
2: August 21st? <laughs> I'm going to guess another 30-day closure. Really? It just keeps, it's like Groundhog Day, it never ends, it just keeps going on every 30 days, they just keep rolling it over, and there just seems to be no plan in the U.S. to when they may finally, you know, it's either going to be a slow opening like Canada has, or... They're just going to say, "Okay, we're open the next day." At this point, who knows what the American government's going to decide to do? It's so frustrating.
0: But clearly, that fourth wave is having a big impact down there, Len. Right? I mean, we look at the, we see the cases rising down there, all over the place, and, and states right across that country that obviously has made them afraid.
2: Well, absolutely. But with Canada being so vaccinated, it should be the other way around. The, you know, the Canadian government should be more concerned about Americans going north because of the numbers rising down here versus Canadians who are now, for a percentage, more vaccinated than Americans entering the U.S. It just, you know, it, it's, it seems like it's the wrong way around what the governments have done. I, I, I have to give a lot of uh, congratulations to Trudeau for making these exemptions, though. Canadians now, like myself, if they want to go back to Canada, they don't have the 14-day quarantine if you're fully vaccinated americans next month in august the following month other foreigners so it's nice to see that the canadian government has taken some initiative and made some plans versus the disaster what's going on down here and it's making a lot of americans unhappy that you know you can't make any plans when they just keep extending this border closure 30 days 30 days 30 days 30 days At some point, it's going to be 2022, and we're going to be, you know, getting close to the second year anniversary of the border closure.
0: Well, you know what? We'll be uh, talking to you in 30 days, I have a feeling. Glenn. thanks so much for your time.
2: Thanks, Jimmy. Have a great day.
0: That's Len Saunders, Blaine-based immigration lawyer who fully thought that, you know, things were going to be different in terms of the U.S. opening up its land border uh, to fully vaccinated Canadians. And yesterday we heard that's not happening, at least for 30 days. Very surprising considering Canada took the steps. Lots of lawmakers on the U.S. side of the border, especially along the, the border area there. Uh, right across the country, very upset with this Biden administration decision, saying this isn't right, we got to get moving, we got to have a plan. But still, nothing for at least 30 days. This is Mornings with Simi. One of the industries hardest hit by the pandemic was tourism. One of the industries hit the hardest by the BC wildfires is tourism. Because now the fires have made areas unsafe to go into or really unenjoyable for tourists to go into with the threat of wildfire smoke hanging over them or the chance that they might have to flee if the wildfires come too close. It's just made for a very kind of unstable situation. So, how is this industry going to bounce back, particularly in the Okanagan? Well, joining us now is the chair of the Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association. It's Michael J. Ballingall. Michael, thanks for joining us.
3: Good morning. Good morning to your listeners.
0: How It must be tough to stay positive these days with everything that's going on.
3: You know, it, it, for those people that interact with people in the restaurant business, the tourism business, front desk people at a hotel, it's amazing when, when what's going on right outside your front door, they still manage to put a smile on their face because that's in their DNA. I mean, this morning I'm waking up at 5,500 feet above sea level, We've had crews on night watch overnight at the top of Big White, looking north, looking east, looking south, looking west. Uh, the this, this smoke is horrendous. I mean, th- this is a very, very serious situation that the interior of British Columbia is, is in. Down in the Soyuz and Oliver, evacuation notices, evacuation alerts, and people have been evacuated. We had the Corvette Car Club arrive at Big White two nights ago, 27 rooms. And uh, everyone thinks, you know, air conditioning we had to turn on their fireplaces. It was six degrees at Big White Ski Resort two nights ago. So it, it, it is a challenging time for all of us. But I can tell you this, we've been through this before. We, we, we Most people in the hospitality industry, the mom and pop operations, the campground operators, um, they understand um, that we live in a dry climate. And, and I think what, what I'd like to say to your listeners this morning is the consumer understands. We've got campers and people with their their RVs and and with their kids, their families on evacuation. There's a big circle in the Walmart parking lot uh, this morning in in, in Kelowna that people that have evacuated out of Oliver, out of the Soyuz and uh, Karameas, and they're just hanging out because they just want to hang out in the Okanagan and be together with people that they haven't seen for a long time. And and, uh, we think that with the wind and the change that hopefully today will be a better day.
0: See, you're so positive. I admire that so much because it's hard these days to stay like that. Up until these wildfires happened, Michael, how were things looking tourism-wise? Because I know there's a lot of bookings, right? Places are booked up solid.
3: July 1st was one of the best days in my career. I mean, the phone started ringing, the emails started coming, checking with our colleagues, you know, from Mount Robson right through a Soyuz. The Thompson Okanagan is as big as the country of Ireland. And there are over 3,500 tourism operators in, in our district. And everyone was reporting a, a very, very good turn of events that they were starting to get bookings. And, and we, we started to see uh, places like uh, the Hotel El Dorado, Incanipa, uh, the Hyatt down in and Minnesota. All of them, they were full. I mean, literally the Hyatt had to evacuate 700 people two nights ago. And, and, and these are the things that you never train for. Um, you never hope that happens and and you just you you do it ten minutes at a time because everything changes so quickly. but the volunteers that are at the Red Cross centers, the emergency centers um, everybody has a job to do they understand what the job is, and the job is safety you know people first, building seconds, firefighters it It, it is a process that you go through, but mother nature well and truly is in control.
0: And I know people really want to support, Michael, like the tourism industry for sure, right? So how can we do that? Do you have any advice for people who perhaps already had bookings and now they're looking at this area going, geez, I don't know about this?
3: Well, talk, talk to the, the operator. Talk, talk to the person on the other end of the phone, the front desk person, because they have real-time information. The, the, lakes, the lakes are super warm. But, but you, you have to understand what's happening on the lakes right now. It's a runway for helicopters and and planes to scoop up water to put on the fire. So you've got to stay to the side of the lakes. There There is proper procedures for everybody still to get on their bike, go to a winery, play some golf, um, go for a hike in the backcountry. But you've got to do it with safety and you've got to do it with knowledge because it changes. Every day this changes. The wind came up last night, and, and I'm telling you, it was scary windy. And that would have pushed the fires in some areas. But what I'm hearing from down in the Soyuz is it pushed the fire back on the fire, which which is good news. It's relatively calm this morning, so that means there's a lot of smoke in the valley. Smoke right now is is our friend because that means the fire is not growing as fast as it should because it's not as windy. When it's windy, the smoke clears. When it's smoky, you know that they're getting a handle on the fire. Wear your masks, folks. Wear your mask. The particulate that's in the air, the carbon particulate, is not good for your lungs. If you're outside, put a mask on. And how you can help the tourism industry is really simple. Go to a restaurant, buy a burger, have a steak. You know, it, it just just participate in the economy. And, and when it's safe to do so, the Okanagan, the Thompson... The Fraser Valley. You know, they caught a record sturgeon in the Fraser River yesterday. So things are happening. Yeah, it's just you got to do it cautiously, and you got to do it safely, and you got to talk to your neighbor and the operators.
0: I tell you, though, Michael, if there's any you know anything about resilience, that's what this this industry has learned, or people in that area have learned over the last year or so, haven't they?
3: Yeah, it's uh, I, I know operators that have been doing this for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And uh, these are some of their scariest times. It's dry. It, you know, when, when I was listening to your weather report, you know, you, you just you just want Vancouver to see rain every once in a while. In the month of July, it will normally snow at Big White Ski Resort. my other job twice. Um, it, it hasn't even rained at Big White th- this July. So the, the, the back country is very dry. B.C. is very dry. But we're not going anywhere. It's Supernatural British Columbia. There will be another day that we will all smile, hold hands together, and, and we will get through this if we do the right thing. Be fire cautious, everybody. You know, don't, don't yeah. smoke outside. Don't throw anything out of your car. Some simple rules that we can all play by and we'll all be safer for it.
0: Well, Michael, thank you so much for that this morning.
3: Have a great day, and I wish everybody a very safe, and don't forget, covid nineteen still here, folks. Stay apart
0: always, as always, great advice. And thank you for that, Michael. Michael J. Ballingall is the chair of the Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association. I know he always sounds so positive, right? Given everything that's happening there, it is amazing. But he's so right about that. If you've got some bookings planned throughout the Okanagan and you've been hearing about these wildfires, you got to call ahead to the place where you made your booking. Check out what the circumstances are. What What is the wildfire situation in that area? He made a great point about masks, have to wear your masks outdoor if there is wildfire smoke and there is an issue because those masks will help you uh, in that case. This is Mornings with Simi. Now, we know that more than ever before, consumers out there, you are paying attention to the health and the economic and environmental impacts of the food that you consume and the food that you buy. So over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're planning to connect our listeners to local farms to help you get a better understanding of how the food that you eat is grown, how it's processed, how it makes it to your plate, to your dining table. And we're introducing you to some of the local farmers that help produce it. So we'll have another farm for you uh, tomorrow to check out. Hopefully you've checked out some of the ones that we have already featured. Now, in other news this morning, do you know what Vibrio illness is? Well, the BC Center for Disease Control has recorded five cases of it in just the last two weeks. They think it's probably because of higher concentrations of bacteria in warm ocean waters. So what's going on? How is that impacting us? Well, for more on this, we're joined by Lorraine McIntyre, who's a food safety specialist in environmental health at the BC CDC. Lorraine, thank you very much for being here.
4: Good morning, Sydney. Thanks for inviting me to chat today. What is Vibrio illness? Vibrio is a bacteria. It's actually a, a motile bacteria. So it swims. It naturally occurs in the ocean. And once the temperatures start getting warmer, it'll start multiplying. And so it's very normal for it to be in shellfish. Um, This year, uh, because we've had such high temperatures so early in the year, the waters are very warm, even at depth. So uh, at at BCCDC, we have a shellfish harvesting map, and it actually shows some of the sea surface temperatures. If you click on the little temperature icons, and, and you can see how warm the temperatures are in many of the shellfish areas where people harvest.
0: So people harvest, they're eating the shellfish, and essentially they
4: shouldn't be? No, it's not that they shouldn't be. It's just that they should expect the bacteria to be there. And, and when they bring it home, when they bring their shellfish home, always cook it. Cook it thoroughly. Bring it to a boil for at least five minutes. Um, to get rid of that Vibrio bacteria. But it's also really important to check the shellfish harvesting map if you're out uh, before you go, just to make sure it's not closed for other reasons like biotoxins, which um, those biotoxins can also be a hazard. Um, They aren't destroyed by cooking.
0: Right. I can see how this would be a concern though, Lorraine, right? Because how many
4: people actually check the map before they
0: go out looking for shellfish? That's
4: right. Often people don't check the map. So you really should, and make sure you have a license to harvest Bring a cooler with some ice packs. I know it's super hard to keep things cold, but um, the colder you keep the shellfish, uh, it'll reduce the growth of the bacteria, the Vibrio bacteria. uh, But it'll be on the outside. It'll be in the water. Make sure you wash your hands and cook your foods early.
0: So what happens, like if you have Vibrio, how do you know that you've got this or that the bacteria has gotten to you? Mm.
4: Well, you know, within 12 to 24 hours, you might develop um, gastroenteritis, which is diarrhea and vomiting and abdominal cramps, um, and you're just going to feel lousy. Usually you self-resolve from those illnesses in one to three days. Um, But, you know, people that may have some underlying condition like uh, liver issues, they may get more sick.
0: So what types of shellfish are we talking about
4: here? All types of shellfish with fibrios in the water and all shellfish are filter feeders. So the illnesses have been linked to people eating raw oysters. So I think um, you know, normally if you collect clams and mussels, you take them home and cook them. So we haven't been seeing illnesses there. So we'd really like to remind self-harvesters to please, um, uh, when you collect things like oysters, don't eat them raw. You can expect the Vibrio bacteria will be there. And okay. you should, you know, when you're harvesting, harvest on a receding tide, because as the shellfish pump water, they do clear the bacteria. But as soon as the temperature is warm enough, they'll start multiplying right in the shell.
0: Ah, okay. So you want some water kind of mobility going on.
4: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's why um, commercially, the commercial uh, shellfish and oysters that are being harvested, they are, they are able to drop those shellfish on a on a line that are uh, below these warm temperatures. And they also can uh, bring them into special places where they depurate or, or they allow the shellfish to pump out the water and it, the water's filtered. So the commercial uh, shellfish, as long as the temperature control is kept down and they have controls in place, it's safe. So we're just we're just reminding self-harvesters, mainly. If you go out uh, into the beach, enjoy yourself. Um, uh, make sure the area is open by checking the map. Uh, bring a cooler. Keep your shellfish cold. And when you get it home, um, cook it thoroughly. I also saw on the
0: list here, you said you shouldn't be cooking crabs whole. Why is
4: that? Uh, that's for toxin reasons. So um, we're always concerned about toxins in, in crabs. And when you actually cook it whole. The the um, uh, guts are still in the crab, the hepatopancreas, and it can release the toxins into the water and contaminate the flesh of the crab. So it's always a good idea to split it in half and remove, uh, remove the gut section and then cook it.
0: Okay, well this is a lot to remember right now too. So where can people get more information on all of this, Lorraine?
4: they can get it on our website. So we have quite a bit of information at uh, bccdc.ca website. We have the shellfish harvesting map, the sea surface temperature map, if you're really interested in temperatures. And we also have uh, information for people on harvesting.
0: All right, good to know. Thank you so much for the warning this morning. You're welcome. That is Lorraine McIntyre, food safety specialist and environmental health at the BC Centre for Disease Control. They are concerned about the warmer waters because of that hot weather that we had earlier. So the warmer ocean waters, a bit more riskier bacteria-wise for shellfish harvesters. If this is something that you do, you know, out there, you go out there as a hobby. Uh, and Make sure everything is thoroughly cooked, particularly your oysters if you are self-harvesting, she said. And check out their maps that they have online at their website to let you know what the temperatures are in the areas that you might be going to do some shellfish harvesting. Great advice this morning.